Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. Today, we're discussing the latest residential real estate data across the Vancouver region for July 2022. We'll focus on the following three insights. The first, July's MLS sales count was the lowest in more than two decades. Number two, a balanced housing market contradicts varied market conditions for different home types. And number three, bond yields are declining, but fixed rates aren't following, at least not yet. My name is Justine Liu, a managing broker at Rennie, and we have a little bit of a different setup today as Ryan Berlin, Rennie's Director of Intelligence, is still on vacation. So joining me as always is Ryan Wise, Rennie's Senior Analyst with our Intel team. I'm also excited to welcome two guests today, Ryan and Daniel O'Hearn, Rennie Advisors for over five years. Ryan and Daniel come from a family of property management background from a young age, so they have a wealth of knowledge and we're super excited to have them. So thank you for joining us today. for having us on just yeah thank you so much for reaching out hey everyone how are we doing today oh great uh 9 a.m start <laughs> early morning start this time around so daniel you've been on just came back from vacation it's good to see you back ryan were you working extra hard because daniel was away yeah i mean i think when we go i went away for about six and a half weeks which has been the longest trip i've done in a wow. while so i kind of left ryan high and dry here <laughs> to take care of everything um and then you know a lot of people do ask us when we go on vacations like so i mean some people don't understand what it means to be a realtor and your schedule and how that works and being self-employed like so what's your like vacation you know schedule how do you get six weeks off of work and uh, basically here's how it works between us uh, you know there's basically a running tally of how many days you've had off for <laughs> vacation so as of right now, I think you took a month off. I took six and a half weeks. So I owe him, uh, you know, two and a half two weeks, weeks. Two, and a, two weeks of solid vacation. And uh, that's just kind of how it works. We just trade well, for each other. For a while, I would take the vacation. He wouldn't go away. And I'd feel guilty about it. I'm like, you got to take some vacation to balance <laughs> out. No guilt now, right? Yeah. No, now yeah, I don't feel guilty. Now I feel great. <laughs> clients always come first, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, clients come first. And um, yeah, that brings us into this podcast. And thank you so much for joining us. So we'll dive right into it. Amazing. Insight number one, July's MLS sales count was the lowest in more than two decades. So Ryan Wise, can you dive into this a little bit more and tell us what happened? Yeah, sure. So it was much slower than normal in July. And I know, you know, we think of summer as being a really slow time. Um, the market usually slows down in the summer last year, notwithstanding. Um, but this is a much bigger sort of decline in activity than we would normally see. So much more than what I would say is the typical seasonal pattern. Um, so total sales were less than 3,000 last month. So that's, you know, less, almost half of what we saw last year. And again, last year was a bit of a different year, um, mm -hmm. but it's 38% below what we call the past 10 year average. So the typical July is much slower than the typical July for sales. And in fact, the last time sales in any July were lower was 2000. So, um, you know, that's, that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we see sales being down across all product types again. Um, but once again, it's this detached market that's really leading this slowdown. So they were, again, comparing to that sort of past 10 year average, that typical July sales were down 54%. So again, more than half um, for detached homes, townhomes, 44%, whereas condos really down 17%. So that condo market's still behaving a bit differently um, than the detached market. Um, the other noteworthy thing here is that sales really wasn't the only metric on decline. Um, 
So in spite of sales being, being down considerably, um, total inventory was down month to month as well, which you would sort of, it's a bit unexpected. So there's a 2% drop uh, in the number of total listings available in the market from June to July. Um, the reason for that is because the new listings, so the number of new properties that came to market was way down as well. So much far fewer people were also bringing their homes to market in July than is typical. Um, so there was just over 6,000 new listings in July for the region. Um, and that's 20% below the typical July. And again, it's a two decade low. So the lowest of any July since 2002. Um, so right across the board, really activity uh, was way down in July. I guess mm -hmm. a lot of people were on vacation like Daniel. Um, <laughs> and so both buyers and sellers were definitely taking a break from, uh, from the market in July. So um, yeah, Ryan and Daniel, uh, how, I guess, Daniel, you were away for a while, but Ryan, how was July for you? Are you seeing a lot less activity from your clients? Yeah. I mean, July was, uh, I mean, a bit of a frustrating month, not to put it any other way. <laughs> um, I mean, we are definitely not, well, Daniel's on vacation, so I saw his Instagram. <laughs> say that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching his Instagram, grinding away at some offers every day. Uh, but I guess all in all, yes, it's been really hard to make sales come together. Uh, we're just seeing a lot of consumer confidence is not quite there. That was there maybe four or five months ago. And what that's translated into is buyers putting in fairly low, quite a bit low, shouldn't even say fairly lower offers, like lower offers just to mm -hmm. help mitigate that risk. And I mean, in... I totally agree with what they are doing. I see why they're trying to protect themselves, but because potentially there could be more declines on the horizon. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been very hard to get people to line up. And the, like saying the batting average of an offer right now, even though we're writing offers every day, it, it feels like it, the very few are coming together mm -hmm. because sellers are seeing what their neighbors sold for three, four months ago, and they don't need to sell. And buyers don't really need to buy necessarily. And they want to get a good deal where they feel like they're making a good decision right now in this declining market. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty interesting. There's still a lot of people out there in the market. They're just not necessarily transacting on homes. Exactly. It's yes. not as urgent, I guess. Not right. as urgent. Like you said, the vacation factor comes in. I'll come back to it in a few weeks. Oh, I'll try an offer on this. Oh, there's some work that needs to be done in the building. Mm -hmm. I don't need to buy. Oh, there's people are really finding reasons to not buy right now. And it's very easy to find reasons to not buy if you're looking for them. Yeah. Interesting. You guys do a lot of pre-sale activity as well. And we're seeing some similar similarities in the pre-sale market. Um, Q1 for pre-sale numbers, we saw more than 6,000 sales, which is a really, really big quarter. Uh, and then Q2 sales slowed down a bit, about 4,600 sales. Again, this is multifamily pre-sales for the whole region. Mm -hmm. um, so a busy pre-sale market for, through the first half of the year, that's close to 11,000 total sales, which would be uh, on track for the second busiest year. But again, this you know, the overall market has slowed down a bit. Do you see any differences between what's happening in the resale market and the pre-sale market right now? Yeah, just to touch on the pre-sale, I guess, um, I think one big reason why a lot of people, especially some of our clients, were jumping towards the pre-sale side of things when the market was super, super active was trying to secure a home on the resale market as a buyer was almost impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to be able to go to a, a nice site and have somebody actually properly talk to you, take you through the options and be able to select something that works for you and um, not feel like you're being pushed uh, one way or another into something that maybe you're not happy with. Um, was, a, I think, a big reason why we were selling a lot of pre-sales when the market was hot. Um, that, of course, in addition to 
um, consumer confidence, as Ryan was touching to on um, before as well. People are thinking, well, the prices are going up like crazy. They're going to continue to mm -hmm. go up. I can, you know, put my deposit down now, make a good return um, on top of being able to get a nice home. So mm -hmm. I think those are kind of two big factors um, as to why the pre-sales might have, you know, been slowing down a little bit. Yeah, and just to add to that too, I mean, even a year ago, the Bank of Canada was saying, we're keeping rates low, don't worry. And that translated into a lot of, yes, let's get some pre-sales because rates are going to stay low for a while while we're fighting this pandemic and economically the government's going to do that. However, that sentiment has obviously shifted in the last six months and people are saying, well, if it's gone up this much in three, four months, how much more can it go up in another year from now? And that has, again, moved into a fear of potentially being locked into something which you can't really you don't really know there's a lot of variables in place still mm -hmm. right now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah pre-sale is, is long run right so yep. you're looking into sometimes like three four years and mm -hmm. so if with the unknown now it's really unknown in the future mm -hmm. yes and three to four years almost in a way you can almost feel more confident in that than even one year in six months or one year because yeah. that's mm -hmm. almost the horizon where you're going oh in six months to a year is that we don't know is that is the market going to be higher or not mm -hmm. if you could get a pre-sale completes in 20 years then i think no brainer right <laughs> yeah. you would do it exactly. uh, so it's almost like the it's a bit of an awkward middle ground of those pre-sales in about a year from now which i think people are a little bit a little bit more worried because they bought it maybe a year or two ago when the market was more elevated so we're, we're definitely working through that with clients right now there's 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 ways of financing to kind of work through those options but we haven't seen it happen yet it's just more something that people are starting to talk about oh my pre-sale is completing in a few months what should i do right now my interest rates my mortgage is going to be higher so we're kind of having those conversations right now mm -hmm. as the completions are coming up next year um so ryan and i we do will work with a lot of first-time buyers people who've never gone through the process ever before and you know when we're talking about confidence in the market um of course you know you're going to want to be confident in order to really take that first step it takes obviously a lot of guts to say, hey, I'm making the decision to buy a home today. And if you're not feeling like 100% about the market or there's some uncertainties that you're just not sitting comfortably with, it's really hard to make that initial phone call. Mm -hmm. And we've definitely noticed um, a, a drop off in the number of you know, initial phone calls, initial coffee meetings that we would typically do. Somebody reaching out saying, hey, take me through the process. I'm making the decision to buy a home. Whereas, you know, six months ago, I remember getting these calls like weekly or daily even. It was getting to the point where we had so many different buyers who want to start the process uh, that it was, a, it was a little overwhelming at mm -hmm. times. Um, but right now, we are really just working with those individuals who have been, you know, searching for a while. That's great insight. And um, so that leads us into insight number two. A balanced housing market contradicts varied market conditions for different home types. Ryan, we've talked about how the detached segment has been balanced for the last two months, but not the townhomes and condo market. What's changed in July? Um, a lot. So again, let's talk about the sales to listings ratio that we use to um, evaluate market conditions. So as you mentioned, we've been talking about detached being balanced the last two months. Um, but the overall market wasn't, condos wasn't, townhomes weren't. Um, so the sales to listings ratio for the overall market for the Vancouver region, all home types, came down from 23% in June, seller's market territory, to 18% in July, balanced market territory. And I would like to point out that's the first time since May of 2020 we've been in a balanced market. Vancouver, you can call a balanced market today, and you couldn't for the last two years. Mm -hmm. It's been seller's market territory for a long time. Um, so that's a big change for sure. And the other thing is each product type of the three is actually facing different market conditions as of July. And we'll see where that goes. But for the meantime, detached is now a buyer's market. 
Um, so that sales to listings ratio is just under 12%, mm -hmm. that, that 12% threshold from, from balance to buyers. Townhomes are now at 19%. Again, that's balanced. And that's the first time townhomes have been there for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, and condos remain a seller's market today. That sales to listings ratio is really coming down and it's currently at 25%. So it's still a seller's market today. Um, so each of these product types, again, it's still the more affordable product types um, that are that are a tighter market. Um, but the interesting thing here is even in spite of those different conditions, we're seeing price declines across the board for each home type. So even in condos, we're still seeing um, some moderate month-to-month -month price declines, detached price declines being a bit bigger lately, um, but all prices have started to come down. Of course, we know that affordability has been eroded through rising interest rates. Mm -hmm. Um, so Ryan, I'm wondering, are you, are you seeing your clients sort of, and clients operating in different segments of the market, um, sort of behaving differently based on the conditions they're seeing, like are, you know, buyers for detached homes really looking for that great deal or sell buyers for condo still competing? What are the sort of, are you seeing that difference actually play out in the market right now? Yeah, it, it oftentimes it seems that it is the same buyer, but they've shifting and what's happened is mm. I think because of price point, because of where they can afford, they've moved downwards. And as a bit of that downward compression of demand, so we have one buyer that was looking at detached, then they've downgraded to a townhouse. They might play with the detached idea still, but it has to be at for the right price. And mm -hmm. it needs to be for a price that makes them comfortable again. So if we and what we are we are putting an offer in today for a detached even, but it's going to be a hundred thousand under asking price just because they're saying, well, I can get the con the townhouse for 1.3, 1.2 or duplex, mm -hmm. but maybe I maybe I'll do a detached for 1.4, but I can't mm -hmm. go to 1.5 asking price. So it's all motivated by the affordability aspect of it. So I think with this, it just everyone's kind of shifted potentially a bit downwards into and downstepped what they've been looking at. So the conversation we're having now, instead of Again, six months ago, people were going, great, I actually got a bigger pre-approval. Why don't we up the size because I need more space? And mm -hmm. my mortgage broker said that's all fine and my payments would be totally fine. Now it's almost the opposite is happening, saying, oh, I know we were looking at this before, but maybe we should actually look at something a bit more reasonable because I don't need all this space. And people are with their expectations. They're bringing their tampering their expectations a little bit. And that's translating to them looking at maybe smaller homes or not as much space as they really wanted before. So that might potentially could be a reason why we're seeing these numbers come out here. Yeah, for sure. People's budgets have really changed. Their interest yeah. costs they're facing have really changed. So they're adjusting their mm -hmm. expectations accordingly. Exactly. And they still need a place to live end of the day. So condos are a great way to get into a market, have a place to live, which is really what you're trying to accomplish when you're getting a home or even an investment property. Mm -hmm. And uh, location is important as well. And I think especially now with with gas prices going up, people don't want to do that commute anymore. Mm -hmm. And often they want to relocate somewhere closer to work. So I think, again, Fraser Valley taking a bigger hit does make sense in some in some way because people want to be closer to work. They don't want to be driving for an hour every day. And they're, it's almost a reversal of the COVID mentality of let's go further away and I don't need to drive. Well, I actually didn't need to drive to work then even. So mm -hmm. it does make sense, yes. For, for properties, for, for uh, stratas, for example, and condo buildings that are like really sought after, um, I don't think it's slowed down too much. I think these, uh, you know, 
building sought after buildings are always going to be quite busy. Um, and if, you know, price bracket and the lower price brackets of things, it is still quite an active market. Um, at least that's what the stats are saying. Right. Um, and we, we do have a listing out in Surrey right now, and, uh, it is a one bedroom, you know, priced at around five fifty, but a large unit, you know, 880 square feet. And, uh, you know, looking at the stats, I'd be expecting, Hey, you know, it should be really, really busy right now, but honestly, it, it's been slower than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, just kind of wondering me, yes, we are looking at July stats. So what does this mean for August? Is August going to be, you know, slower than July? I guess we'll find out. So Daniel, we do actually look at the the stats every day at Intel. Um, it, it appears based on the early returns for August that we're on track for a similar month compared to July, but uh, obviously we'll see there's a lot of month left and a lot can happen. So in mm-hmm. terms of the sales numbers, yeah, sales mm-hmm. listings are kind of on pace for a similar trajectory yeah. so far, but it's still early in the month. So we'll see gotcha. how it plays out. Yeah. Gotcha. Good to know. get into insight number three. Bond yields are declining, but fixed rates aren't following, at least not yet. So Ryan Wise, why don't you break down the relationship between the bond yields and fixed rates and what's going on with them now? Yeah, sure. So to give everyone a quick background, um, bond yields really drive fixed rates. So government of Canada bonds are generally considered to be as risk-free as you can get. So the five-year government of Canada bond yield is sort of the risk-free return you could get for for locking up your money for five years. Um, And the spread between the five-year bond yield and the five-year fixed rate is sort of the implied risk that a bank takes on for for lending out a mortgage. Um, So historically, when bond yields rise or fall, fixed rates follow um, with some fluctuation, of course, but they're they're generally correlated. Um, and that's what we've seen historically. Banks move their rates as bond yields change. Um, and for the first half of this year, this trend pretty well held up as normal. There's some fluctuation, mm-hmm. but generally as, as fixed rates, as bond yields rose, fixed rates rose as well. Um, and that was the case last year as well. They were both rising. Um, but since June, this has sort of changed a bit. Um, so just for some some quick numbers, at the start of the year, uh, the discounted fixed rate was around 2.4%. Bond yield was around 1.4%. Spread was about 95 basis points. Uh, June 1st, the spread was a bit less. It was about 73 basis points. Both had risen. Um, bond yields peaked on June 14th, and they've been coming down since then. Um, but fixed rates have continued to rise since June 14th. So when I ran all these numbers last week, the spread was about 154 basis points. So the spread had basically doubled. Doubled. Yeah. Um, So where do we go from here? Well, let's look to the big banks because they're the ones doing the rates. They also forecast everything and they have a whole bunch of models to look into this stuff. Um, They're all forecasting something different. Each of the big banks have sort of a different outlook on the rest of 2022. Some are saying they expect bond yields to go back up. Others are saying... They expect them to come down, but they all say the same thing for next year, which is that bond yields will fall. So all the banks are forecasting bond yields and implying that fixed rates will fall next year. Some sort of projecting it earlier, some later, but they all sort of say that that's message that they they believe that the peak for fixed rates and bond yields is coming soon. Um, and with this sort of unexpected decline in bond yields, it could be the market implying that they believe inflation has already peaked. We'll see what the numbers come out when we get the latest July CPI data. Uh, we don't know yet, um, but 
there's there's some sort of mixed messages in the market right now that are saying that perhaps fixed rates could peak and come down sooner than I think a lot of people expected. Um, we don't know, but the other indicator that I think is quite interesting is the one-year average fixed rate mortgage is now the highest of all of the fixed rate terms, which again is the bank saying they expect mortgage rates to peak in the near future. Um, so Ryan, Daniel, what do you think it would take, um, for, to bring back some of this consumer confidence from this perspective? Yeah, I think, uh, the conversation right now is really centered around interest rate hikes and the bank of Canada announcing, you know, where things are going. So with an upcoming uh, announcement, I think September 7th, if I'm not mistaken, I think what would it take? It would be, Hey, you know what guys, it looks like inflation is, you know, under control here and we're going to keep things as is, or, you know, maybe we're doing a small adjustment or just some kind of, um, sense of, Hey, you know, long-term wise, we're, we're going to, we're sorting this out and things are not running crazy. We're going to get things under control or things are looking more under control. Kind of like what you're saying, we're, we're expecting that interest rates may peak sooner than we're anticipating. If that was communicated, um, to the general public, I suppose that would give some consumer confidence, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and I think a lot of it is just on the trajectory. Right now, the trajectory is it's getting it's getting more intense for buyers because they're seeing the heat cranked up on these interest rates. But if even if it were to go up, but by a smaller degree, like Daniel was saying, that would bring some confidence back. A lot of the first time buyers do prefer fixed rates. And because the fixed rates, the margins are so high, it's really hard to justify locking yourself in for these higher rates. So that is a lot. And it's very difficult to talk to someone that's never bought a home before and say, yeah, just get a variable and ride it out. It'll be fine. (laughs) So that, again, I think has translated into the the lower first time buyer uh, crowd purchasing. Mm -hmm. But what would bring it back is, yes, fixed rates are coming down. Yes, you can lock it in for four years. They have that assurance that they know there's a window of time, which they have this rate and they can calculate their payments and they don't have to worry. That would definitely help a lot. So Daniel and Ryan, let's talk about your past clients. So we talked a lot about um, new new buyers, but your past clients, what's happening with them right now? Are they seeing any changes with their payments or how they're feeling because of the interest rates? Yeah, I mean, with a lot of the the rates going up and depending on which bank or institution you lend with, your payments will, if you're on a variable rate mortgage, will increase with the um, with the, the, the prime rate going up. So some banks, that is the case, but many banks, the payment will actually stay the same. The only thing that changes is out of the payment you make every month, a bigger proportion will go to interest rather than your principal pay down. Mm-hmm. So what's happening right now and what I've, we've noticed with our clients and even our our own properties because we're on variable rates is that uh, it's getting close to the point where your payment will not even cover the interest anymore, the entire payment. And what this means is it's called a trigger rate. And anyone that's really bought in the last probably seven, eight months is this is something to watch out for because uh, I mean, our for my trigger rates at 4.3 and I'm sitting at 4% interest right now. So if it goes up one, one more time, we're definitely going to be over that hump. And what we would encourage is to definitely talk to your broker, talk to your mortgage broker, banker, and see what can I do in terms of upping my payments to make sure I'm not going to have to fill, like basically write a check to the bank once my my uh, term is finished. Mm-hmm. So, and again, it's it's something that I would definitely talk to your talk to a professional about and just get what get what the uh, what are the options on the table here? What are we dealing with? And again, if the rates do, are we are in a high interest rate environment for a longer time, this is going to become even more and more important. And it's something that we might start seeing in the next few months with banks reaching out to their clients and saying, "Hey, 
you know, you should probably up your payment because this, this, this might happen. So this is something we're probably going to start seeing very soon if the rates continue to keep going up or stay up. Yeah. It's something you definitely want to get ahead of. You don't want to be surprised by it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You don't want to be waiting for the bank to reach out for you. Right. I mean, you want to be the one looking, making the calculations and determining what payment size do you want? Um, ultimately, it is in your court to determine how much you want to do per month and how much basically it's going to be going towards the principal, right? Um, so better to do that than to wait for the bank to call you. Mm-hmm. It's not a good phone call again. No. <laughs> Never no. a good and call. At least you know, right? And you can make that choice yourself as opposed yeah. to at the end coming with a surprise. Yeah, Exactly. What do we always say on the podcast? Know your budget. <laughs> Stay within it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's trademarked. <laughs> so this was such a great conversation today. On the podcast, we covered three main insights. The first being July's MLS sales count was the lowest in more than two decades. A balanced housing market contradicts varied market conditions for different home types. And bond yields are declining, but fixed rates aren't following at least not yet. So before we end off this podcast, I want to pass the, the floor over to Daniel just to see if you have any final thoughts or tips that you want to share with any potential buyers or sellers who are thinking of potentially being in the market or um, yeah, or who possibly are in the market. Yeah, um, thanks, Justine. Um, I would say get started sooner. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to act right here, right now in this moment. But get started soon in the sense of why don't you engage with your bank, engage with your realtor or us (laughs) Um, and let's have a conversation. You know, I enjoy having coffees. So, you know, if you want to have a coffee and just sit down and chat about, hey, here's what I'm thinking about. Let's start that earlier. So that way, because trust me, things when they start to shift, they shift quickly. Right. And this is not going to be a forever thing. This window of time right now, you know, sometimes some of the best moves are made when everybody else is, you know, not paying attention. Right. So let's start the conversation now, get things kind of ready to go. And then that way, um, once we feel like timing is appropriate, we can, you know, act and we're not just starting to get our, you know, our our groundwork laid out at that time. Mm -hmm. That's great. So being uh, prepared, Yeah, absolutely. Just be one step ahead of everybody else right now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good advice. Mm -hmm. And Ryan, what's your your final thoughts and sentiments that you'd like to share? Yeah, definitely would say don't need to get caught up in the emotion right now. There's there's emotion that of a wave of people wanting to buy before, and in the same token, there's an emotion of people that oh don't buy right now. But it's really about getting the numbers, getting the facts together, getting and really if you were to buy in a nice building that doesn't need work coming up, or you were to know your numbers, know your rental numbers if you're an investor. And know your mortgage numbers as well. And if it means buying down, don't over leverage. But it's by no means a bad time to buy. And, and no one has a crystal ball when you know the bottom is. And everyone wants to hit the bottom. Mm-hmm. But it's really all about knowing your numbers and how your longevity in the market. So as long as you're able to service the debt without a, any issues, that's the major point that we want to have here. And that you can ride out the storm. Because you'll look back in three to five or six or years and you'll be happy you made the move. When no one when, when no one else was really yeah. too afraid to, so don't be wanting to time things perfectly. Get something that you like that you're comfortable with and keep it long term. That's great. So knowledge and preparation. Exactly. Yeah. Keys to success. <laughs> great. And if um, anybody wants to get in touch with either one of you, how can they best reach you? Yeah, I mean, want you you could shoot us a follow on the Broherns. That's B R O H E A R N. So that's our last name, and uh, of course we're brothers. So hence the cheesy, uh, yeah. you know, tag there. So um, otherwise, you can email us at D O H E A R N at rainy That's Doherne at rainy Our or, phone numbers are the same too, just one digit. Oh yeah, that's actually the coolest part. <laughs> the coolest part about reaching us is that. 
that uh, we're one digit different. That's seven seven eight three eight four two six six five or seven for seven, Ryan. Eight, three eight four two six six seven. So I got That's the bigger awesome. number. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And also, um, if you didn't catch all that and you want a direct link, feel free to visit the Rennie website, rennie.com slash Ryan O'Hearn or slash Daniel O'Hearn. So thank you so much for joining us today. And this wraps up this episode of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out the latest Rennie review and other intelligence information on rennie.com slash intelligence. Be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox. Register for intelligence updates. Thank you so much, Ryan, Daniel, Ryan Wise. Thank you. Thanks, Justine. Thanks, guys. This was fun. Yeah. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com. Rennie.